Welcome to Family Business Today, where we feature prominent local and national family business owners. We also talk to top family business experts to discuss relevant topics, including communications, business culture, family relationships, succession and estate planning, values, as well as conflict resolution. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business, I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is David Wells, principal with Woodmont Council in Nashville, Tennessee, where he works with closely held family enterprises. He is also a third-generation member of a family business. On today's podcast, we will be talking about family governance, what it is and why it is important for a family business to have a governance model. No matter what the size of a family enterprise, the unique and often volatile mix of personal family relationships Business strategy and ownership criteria can create an emotionally charged environment that makes decision-making, not to mention day-to-day management, how do you say it, challenging. And as the founding generation's ages, succession and power issues across an expanding family can create cascading concerns. In a study by PwC Global, 71% of family enterprises haven't adopted any procedures for resolving family conflict between family members. Hello, David. Thank you for joining us on Family Business Today. Thanks, Greg. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, it's great. I'm really looking forward to getting your perspective on this uh, hot topic of, of, of governance and family business. So let's talk for a few minutes about some of the basics of family governance to help our listeners better understand why family governance is important to their business and to their family. So what does family governance look like in your family business? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I think you know if you think about the various parts of the family business, you know, you 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 kind of come back to this idea of the three circles, uh, which kind of gets talked a lot about in family business, uh, mm-hmm. kind of the community. The idea that you have the family piece, the ownership piece, and then the kind of business management piece. And so, you know, with within our family, or even within other families that uh, that I've gotten to know and work with, you know, a lot of times is what you see is is each of those circles ends up with some sort of a governance entity. Uh, it, for the family piece, it could be a family council, uh, which I've which we certainly have um, within the the management and the business itself. You know, that in its fullest and highest form looks like a board of directors with independent board members. And then the ownership piece can be a little bit uh, tricky. Sometimes it may be something like an owner's council. Um, sometimes it, you know, it, it may end up just being looking like the kind of the board itself. That I think that's something that, uh, you know, it looks a little bit different for every family. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you mentioned just a little bit there. So you talked about a family council and a board. Um, from a, c- a governance standpoint or from a corporate uh, structure standpoint, what's the difference uh, components of, of governments? What's the difference between these two? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, I, I think really what it is, and I, I think when you think about how a, how a family business gets started, you know, um, that the, the, the family, the business and ownership are all the same group of people. And so if we had three circles, rather than kind of being spread out, they would actually just be stacked on top of each other, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, a, like a stack of quarters, uh, when you're going to the to the <laughs> to your college uh, laundry room, uh, right? That, you know that kind of a concept. I think what happens is is over time is is that as the business grows, changes, uh, is successful and develops, um, you start having you start seeing a need for uh, different skill sets, different questions that have to be answered. That that co- causes those you know those stacked quarters to then begin to separate. 
And so really when I think about a family council, um, it is beginning to, to take the, you know, the, the broader question of the fam- you know, the question and concerns of the family and starting to, to gently separate those from the operating concerns of the business. Hopefully by doing that, it does a couple things. One is, is that it, it makes sure that the business gets the talent, perspective, and resources and guidance that it needs to continue to grow and be successful. But then as well, it also gives the family time to really um, begin to articulate a shared vision of what it means to be a family and business together. Um, and that can be, you know, articulating the, the values of the family, which are probably, you know, they're, they're out there. Uh, they're, they're, they may be implicit in how the family makes decisions, but beginning to really articulate them, making, make them explicit and then beginning to think about, okay, as future generations come alongside, you know, what are the stories that we tell? Um, what are the educational things that we need to keep in mind so that those next gens, you know, whether they're three years old or 30 years old, you know, have this perspective of where they fit in the in the in the family story through time, um, and uh, and that those considerations are very different from you know do we uh, do we open this facility or close this facility do we um, do we replace this personnel role do we you know are we going to start a new division are we going to acquire this business those are all wonderful questions um, but very very different in nature from family type questions and then. You know, in there, in, and then at some point, you those those kind of two spheres of family and business, you have to define kind of how they interact. And so, for a lot of families, it's something like a family employment policy, um, where where it talks about okay, you know, when and how family members, if they want to continue to work in the family business, can come into the family business. You know, I, I've seen a lot of times what that means is is that families encourage their you know their new college grads to go out, get four or five years experience, hopefully get a couple of promotions. Um, you know, under their belt to demonstrate leadership ability and capacity so that when they come into the family business, you know, they're coming in as, as, uh, as someone that, w- that the family would probably want to hire anyway and not necessarily just purely from birthright alone. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, hopefully as, as the business grows and, and, and as time passes, you know, the need to continue to professionalize management for, um, for the organization to continue to adapt to the changing marketplace requires that the human resource piece uh, uh, continue to evolve and, and change as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Very good. And so uh, from the standpoint of the board, though, the board is, uh, can be much, it's much more of the governance of running the business. And also there can be people who are not family members that are on the board versus the family council is, is, is really made up only of family members. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and really there's great research that supports that, uh, especially with family-owned companies, bringing in outside directors, not necessarily have giving them majority control, but bringing in outside directors actually is really strongly correlated with the success of the business, its ability to function in the long term. So outside board members are, you know, it, it's a gift of service that they provide to the family, um, and it's a, it's a tremendous blessing if you can utilize that. Within the family council, I think, you know, because those are going to be much more, you know, family in nature, you know, you'd probably want to keep that circle, um, you know, to family alone. Now, now, you know, with the full understanding that sometimes, um, you know, families uh, come to loggerheads where they don't where they either don't have the capacity to enter in those conversations uh, themselves, whether it's due to unresolved conflict or hurt feelings. And so that may be some time where you would want to bring in a, you know, an advisor Mm -hmm. um, or, or a consultant that can kind of help facilitate those 
teach the family how to work together and, and frankly, even just lay out the vision or the pathway of you know, similar work product that, you, that other families have gone down the road in producing just to kind of spark creativity and, uh, and ideas um, when that family council is kind of in that forming and norming stages of, uh, of group development. Okay, thanks, David. So, uh, so we've talked a little bit about the key responsibilities and the differentiation between a, a family council and a board. But uh, uh, could you uh, just uh, reiterate? You've mentioned some of those. What are what are not the responsibilities of family council? Uh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I, I would say that um, you know when when you start to see the family council being uh, moving towards dictating corporate strategy, um, you know, moving to dictate management changes and the like, that would probably be where I would say, okay, I think you're overstepping, you know, overstepping um, your ba- you, the bounds of the family council. Not that those aren't probably important questions that need to be addressed, it's just the question of like the context of where that's supposed to happen. Um, you know, I, I think that would probably be the, the first thing that comes to mind of where you would say, you know, the, the family council. Um, has overreached. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, that probably would leave it at that. Okay. <clears throat> but I think what you're saying, though, is it's even as a uh, board has board governance, uh, a family council has family council governance, which gives them dire- directives on what they can and cannot do from the standpoint of, of, of uh, being actively involved in the daily operations of the business. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, and that's an important nuance maybe is that the family council, you know, you hear these two terms, you know, one is kind of like family assembly and then the other is family mm-hmm. council. And so think about the family assembly as kind of the, you know, the, 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 all the members of the fam of, of how you, of how the family defines what it means to be family. Uh, and that is a, you know, then that can be that should be an important question that the family wrestles with over time. Um, what are the roles of in-laws? You know, what, uh, how do we handle you know, um, mar- married ends, uh, adopted children, divorced spouses, all of those kind of, you know, various nuances of family probably need to be addressed. I would encourage families to not do that uh, first first, uh, first off the bat just because those are, those are very sensitive topics. But mm-hmm. the family assembly kind of comes together. And really the, the thought is that the family council becomes kind of the representative body of the, of the, of the broader family assembly. Mm-hmm. And then typically what you would see is like the first piece of work that that family council would do is to produce some sort of like a bylaws or a constitution that says, okay, here's what we really think this group is supposed to be about. And it kind of defines the, you know, it defines the playing field of, okay, this is what the family council is going to do. I mean, typical things that you would want to see that you, that we see around that. Um, and uh, with the families that I interact with, you know, would be, you know, things like education um, across all the generations of the family. Um, it would be, you know, managing the the event piece of how frequently the family gets together, um, uh, whether it's to provide business updates or simply just to enjoy each other's company. Um, probably some sort of a, you know, a values heritage piece of, t- you know, whether it's storytelling. Um, in, I, I've, you know, I've, I've. I met a couple of families who have commissioned books uh, that tell the kind of family story. Um, there's there's a company that I think does really really neat like video interview work where they'll sit down with the the, uh, the founding generations of the family just to capture some of these you know stories before they're kind of lost in the sands of time, you know things like that. Um, and then just the ongoing questions that kind of come up, whether it's you know um, how do family members resolve disputes. Um, 
in, in a healthy fashion? Um, you know, what is it, you know, do we want our, you know, our 18 year olds to be able to do internships in the company? And so there may be some interaction between the business and the family, but, but I think when you, when you get folks who kind of capture the vision of what it could look like, you know, there's, there's more than enough work to be done. And hopefully that constitution really is what outlines that. Great. Okay. Thanks, David. Appreciate that. So, uh, many of our listeners may be saying, you know, governance is really isn't it's really only important for large family enterprises uh, uh, like yours. But what are some of the benefits of having a family council for all family members? Those who are active in the business, those who are not active in the business, the the in laws, where uh, um, no matter what size family uh, business that you might have. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think. And, and, and it really doesn't, you know, you can sit down with, with families that are eighth generation, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of family members, or it can be a, you know, a small group of 10 or 12 where it's, you know, it's kind of a two pizza get together around the kitchen table. I think what family councils do is they broaden the umbrella of what it of what it means to be an engaged participant in the family. And I think when I sit down with, with, uh, with, with families, uh, with my work here at Woodmont or even, you know, other friends who, uh, who are parts of uh, family owned companies, you know, one of the primary sensitive pieces that you hear is, is that family members who have a place professionally within the organization feel either a greater degree of engagement and responsibility towards the asset or for family members who, who say, look, I'm a school teacher. You know, I don't know how to – I'm not a widget manufacturer. I don't know anything about it. They just don't find a place to engage. And so what happens is, is you end up with one group of the family that drives all the decision-making, and then you have another group that you know, maybe has an opinion, but either it feels – um, they don't feel comfortable expressing because they don't have the expertise, or frankly, that opinion may, may not be uh, honored um, as a as a valid one because they're not as engaged. And so, I think when you start to establish the family council, what it does is it it, it gives um, family members who come from other you know other gifting sets, other tool sets, the ability to um, seek the good of the family apart from the from the just the purely financial asset that mm-hmm. exists. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where. You know that then becomes a place where everyone's rowing the same way. They're working towards a shared vision, and while what the left hand is doing may be different than the right hand, they're both really integral to the success of the family. And I think that just brought, that that provides more seats at the tables at the table for the family to feel successful mm-hmm. for those members to find a way to plug in. Sure, sure. Well, well, thanks, thanks for sharing that. And we've talked about who should should be on the family council. It should be family members who are uh, active in the day to day operations of the business. There may be family members who have other careers: uh, uh, doctors, attorneys, lawyers, wealth management uh, uh, people, their spouses, or whatever. But the family council is really a place for them all to come together uh, for, if nothing else, for communications. What's going on uh, right now? What's the vision uh, of the leadership for the future? Uh, if, if, And we assume they all have some type of, uh, of stock ownership or, or whatever in the company, uh, what the expectations are for their returns. Uh, 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 how does all of that really help to to reduce the amount of stress and conflict in in the company? <laughs> sure, absolutely. I think you know. Um, I think if anything, it provides a forum for um, what is unspoken to be spoken, um, okay. and not necessarily for, for this for the. 
for the for just for the pure sake of confrontation and and conflict. But I think the reality is is you know and, and face it, we're in Nashville, Tennessee. We're in the you know in the in in the South. You know, there's a lot of things that just in the in the name of kind of Southern niceties just may, may get covered up, or they aren't uh, big enough issues today, um, so they don't get addressed. And so I think. By having a, a council with with a set of agendas and a type of work that they're accomplishing, it provides a forum to begin to talk about some of those some of those issues that may be hot button issues today. And I think, if, perhaps even more important than that, they give the family the context to go through shared decision making to wrestle with questions, so that when the big questions come along, uh, you know, some you know a competitor approaches you and says, "We think you have a great business. We'd like to buy you," or um, you know, the market has really changed. It's 2008. We're going to have to do, you know, there's going to have to be a round of layoffs. Family members are going to have to take pay cuts, you know, whether it's good or bad. Um, you, you have given the family the ability to to build context and trust together in how they make decisions. And hopefully that then positions the family to navigate, you know, those, those opportunities and threats without a lot of, um, you know, with perhaps less conflict that would exist, or it perhaps mitigates, you know, just kind of the historical conflict that exists in all families. Um, that it, you know, whether it's between uh, uh, parents and children, uh, you know, aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews, all of those kind of fun dynamics that exist. Oh, thanks, David. And you've given a whole new meaning to the word "bless your heart." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly allow, right. Allow the unspoken to be spoken. So that's 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 great. And that uh, uh, I would say that's probably even harder when you still have the uh, founder uh, still actively involved in leading the business. Uh, got it started. So yeah, I, I heard somebody say recently that um, you know when you when you have generations in uh, that are you know, multiple generations that are involved at, at the same time frame. You have this kind of period where the where the two regimes overlap. You've got the founder, and then probably the sibling partnership uh, of his, you know, his or her kids. And then you know, you have the as time passes, you have the sibling partnership, and then kind of what's called the cousin consortium of all the nieces and nephews that have to come together. And it's in those inter you know inter periods where both sides think the other side is crazy uh, because they they came out of different you know, they were raised in different worlds. They have very different life experiences in different ways of viewing the world, and so some of so much of it is 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 how do you get the two sides to honor and respect what uh, what the best pieces are of each, but then also recognizing that the decision making models that exist um, with how a, a, a group of siblings makes decisions versus you know a single directive entrepreneurial founder uh, is very very different. And then you take that another generation down the road, and how a, you know a group of could be you know twelve to thirty or forty make decisions. It's going to look very different from a group that you can get around the dinner table, and and it looks very very different. And and frankly, and in what what I have seen is a lot of times neither group really understands the other. Um, and so that's where that communication piece that you've mentioned continues to be important. Of saying you know this is you know this is how this group makes decisions, um, but we still want to respect and, and honor the heritage that brought us to where we are today. That's right, and I think that's. Uh uh, a recommendation that uh, uh, that I always have is is that uh, once you get through with the family council member, always have dinner. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They can always yeah. um, take care of a lot of the uh, right, a lot of the wrongs that maybe families may have hurt feelings or whatever uh, from what they may have said. So we talked. You mentioned an agenda, but so if. Um, uh, 
uh, I was a new founder uh, wanting to have a family council in in our in family business and engaging other members. What what would be some of the items that uh, that you might want to have on the agenda? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, a couple things that come to mind. You know, you know, first would be to to begin to articulate formally what does it look like for the family to be um, involved in each other's lives and so if it's a family that's in the same geographic area you know i i've i've known families where like they're able to get together like they do a sunday supper you know every sunday evening and it's kind of marks the the beginning of the week and that's how the family is is able to get together you know as as you add geographic distance and ages and kids and everything else that maybe gets more challenging but Agreeing on some sort of a regular cadence of, uh, of of being involved in in getting together, I think is is you know kind of paramount. That's that that I would put on that list. Um, I think secondly is beginning to um, to move towards a more f- formal sounds kind of pomp and circumstance esque, but I think a more formal process of communicating what's going on in the business, um, and so. You know, it may be, um, you know, to the extent there is a board of directors that you do a second, you know, kind of quote unquote board meeting where just family members are either able to attend or dial in and they get the same information that that board that the board does, you know, whether it's the board book, they get an update on the financial results, the types of types of questions. I've seen some family members where they actually do kind of like board shadowing programs where they bring in younger members of the next generation. They're able to sit uh, sit in the room, not necessarily at the table, um, but they'll sit in the room, watch the discussion, and then afterwards the chairman of the board or the management team will sit down and say, okay, well, what questions did you have as a way to develop that capacity? Um, the point being is that the family – that does a couple things. One is that the family begins to become more informed of what's actually going on with the financial asset of the business. And then secondly, that allows the, the management team and the, the and the board to understand, okay, what is – what are the strategic priorities of the family? Um, where are the where are the learning gaps? You know, we keep using this term EBITDA. Uh, you know, earnings before incomes, tax, income taxes, depreciation, and amortization. You know, for folks in the business world, that's like motherhood and apple pie. It's a term that gets tossed around. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with family members and you know, you sit down with a a 65 year old uh, retired school teacher who says, "I don't have the foggiest idea what EBITDA is," um, and so you can you can start to surface the educational piece of saying, "Okay, wow, we we need to really work on you know some kind of finance 101 for the family," or, mm-hmm. "Okay, they seem to have a good understanding of the financial results, but they don't really understand what's going on in the market." You know, maybe we bring in um, a local you know a local university professor who who studies this, or we can bring in an industry consultant who's already doing work with the business just to talk about the trends that are going on in the business. Um, so that they become engaged engaged owners, because I think to some extent what you're trying to do with all of this, right, is to avoid um, entitlement, you're to and avoid dependency, where you know the business kind of does its thing, family members get their distribution checks, and everyone kind of goes on their way. Um, you know, in that kind of scenario, there's just not enough. You know, the the, the the there's not enough direction from the family to help the management team run the business and then conversely for the family there's just not enough engagement with the business where it makes sense to continue to own something collectively um you know it's not uh i mean really from the time we're like five years old we're not really taught how to own things collectively you know we, we get instinctively the idea of possessions very very quickly we teach our kids how to share but but when we share, we never actually share the ownership. It's always like, I'm going to loan you this toy for now, but I expect it to come back to me. 
And so there's, there's really a lot of learnings that we all have to do as adults of how do we own something collectively and how do we own something collectively that most likely we didn't start. Um, you know, we certainly perhaps may work in the business and have thoughts on how to grow it, but it's something that we're inheriting. Um, we've got it for a period of time. We want to do a good job with it, but then we also want to pass it on. And so that's just a very different skill set that, frankly, you know, there's not a lot of great resources out there. Um, you know, podcasts like this, you know, books, uh, there's a few books out there that help to begin that, that process, but it's something that has to, you know, that we have to, to have to learn each individually. And then each family has to learn what that looks like, you know, uh, for, for their particular piece of time, place and history where they find themselves. Oh, oh, great, great information. So, so a, um, let's, let's say there's a founder out there who does not have a family council. Uh, and I know I talk to to them quite often, and they're really concerned about sharing their financials. Um, they, they're just, you know, they've yeah, they've sure. been running the company, whatever. Uh, what would be? How could you put them at ease about the advantage of of sharing the financials with their sons and daughters, and even their spouse uh, and uh, other? Uh, 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 in-laws or whatever that are in, uh, that are involved in the business and not involved in the business. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's a great question, and you know, and it's and it's so interesting because there's just so much you know so much good data that's out there. Um, there's a great book by Williams and Presser called Preparing Errors that talks about how you know seventy percent of estate plans fail not because that the estate plan was done poorly, but because because of communication related issues where the where the inheritors. Um, we're not, you know, where that, that communication piece wasn't in place. And so, you know, the, the data is conclusive that communication is important, that it leads to good outcomes. Um, but the flip side is, is that, I mean, you start running into all of these great sensitivities where, um, you know, it, uh, it's tough to, to talk about these things openly um, because it reveals, you know, <clears throat> to some extent, it may reveal both the successes and failures of the family. It reveals how we think and process about process uh, what financial wealth means to ourselves uh, and to others, um, how we think about what we were going to do for next generations uh, for, for in terms of legacy, in terms of our philanthropic involvement. You know, all of these things kind of get, uh, get tied up together. And I think we're, 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 when we sit down to advise families and, and I think even just you know, in, in conversations with my own family, you know, I come back to the concept that, like, that, uh, that, that revelation is always progressive. Um, that uh, that uh, communication and transparency doesn't have to be 100% day one, because um, in, so, in in some to some extent, um, too much information too early can be damaging as you know <laughs> as damaging as no information at all. And so it, it, I always kind of come back to to Charlie Munger's you know quote around kind of inversion and starting you know thinking about the end that you want and then reverse engineering back to the beginning. And I think I would sit down and say, okay, what is it that I really want for the next generation to understand about the financial assets or uh, about their the potential inheritance, the success of the business and the like, and then start to think about, okay, what does that look like um, wherever those individuals are in their life's journey? You know, for a five-year-old who may be coming, you know, someday will, uh, will be a beneficiary of a trust, maybe when they're 21, 25, 30, whatever else. You know that that five year old. You know those are that's a very real, real reality that will come to their to their um, 
to their surface, to their vision as time passes. So maybe you start today with a conversation around learning how to defer gratification, um, the importance of work. You know, when, it, when that kid is 14 or 15 years old, maybe it starts as a summer job, you know, learning some basics around budgeting and, and everything else. And I think that same skill set can, you know, you can think about those component elements um, for 30-year-old, for 40-year-old, for, for, for 50-year-olds, you know, what, what it looks like for them to engage. Um, and, and I think as well, I think just recognizing that there, it's not, it's not going to be perfect. Um, I think the flip side is, is that the conversation will be had at some point. It's just a question of if you want to be present at the table when it happens. You know, the, you know if, if the conversation isn't had and there is a reading of the will after you pass – um, you know, the lawyers who are handling the estate and everything else, you know, they're going to be the ones who communicate this information. And so w- would you rather be in a position and, – and, and some people may say, no, I'd rather have the lawyers do that. That's what I'm paying them for. Um, but I think it comes down to the fact of would you rather um, be able to sit down, begin those conversations slowly over time with some regularity so that you can address the – that maybe the hurt feelings um, that that may exist. You can address the questions. Well, what does this mean for my life if suddenly I've got, um, you know, I, there's I'm going to inherit more money than I ever thought I would 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 uh, would ever be, have access to. You know, there's a lot of questions that come with that. And I think as as a parent myself, and I think as 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 we all are, you know, deal with ne- the next generation. You know, I think we want to be involved in our kids' lives and around those things. It's it's sensitive um, because it, you feel like you're kind of exposing the underbelly uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, you know, I think the opportunity to be able to have those conversations over a five to ten year period of time to get where you want to go versus something tragic happening um, where then suddenly. You know, the, the, this kind of reality is thrust upon those kids. You know, that that doesn't feel like a gift of love in, in my mind. And I think for most of us, um, you know, we, we, we like to give our kids good gifts and we like to to share opportunities and to, sh- to show them the great things of life and to, and to give them the ability to live their lives. I think it's just, you know, it's perhaps trying to find kind of that first on ramp to begin to learn to have the conversation. Oh, thanks, David. Yes, I. I think the uh, thing that I've enjoyed the most about uh, attending a first family council me- meeting is, is many times it's the first time there's ever been a distribution of uh, <laughs> distribution to family members, and uh, there's always lots of happiness when they all of a sudden get a big check uh, <laughs> as part of attending the meeting. So, uh, uh, so Ab- go ahead. Absolutely. I mean, no, I was going to say, I mean, part of being, you know, being part of a family business enterprise or system is, is that there are responsibilities and rewards. That's right. And if you get, if you get too far on either side of that, then, then the family, you know, you kind of, you fall out of balance Right. and that, you know, families where there's too many rewards and not enough responsibility, you know, we see those in the papers. You, yeah. you see this with, with kind of the proverbial trust fund babies and everything else, but the same thing can happen on the other side. Um, and there's the great proverb that talks about, you know, not muzzling the ox while it's treading out the grain. Um, the point being that you know when you're when when someone's providing work, there should be benefit for it. And if you want people to feel engaged, and and moreover, I think you know why, you know, it, it, there's a there's a there's an inherent degree of presumption that uh, that any founder has when when they say that I'm going to pass on the my dream and my business to the next generation. You know that was the dream that they had to start that business um, to to build it, and so. There is there is a degree of saying, okay, I think I know it's this is a, has been a good a, a beneficial enough presence in my life that it's worth passing on. But I think it's also important to recognize that when you do that, you're doing something for somebody, but you're also doing something to somebody. Um, 
And so by giving them the ability to obviously take responsibility for that, but also then to figure out how to ingratiate it, to build it into their lives, and then experience the, the you know, the, both the monetary rewards, but also just the psychological satisfaction of, of stewarding an asset, of building it the way that the generation that had come before, that's incredibly gratifying work. Um, but it also requires each generation to kind of make their peace with what's happened to to them. All right, that's awesome. So, uh, so family business uh, owner says, "Okay, David, this uh, family council thing uh, sounds intriguing." And but you know, I, I'm running a company. I'm building company. I'm already got a board. I'm having meetings with uh, every month or uh, whatever. Now you're saying I want to. I have a family council, another meeting. So how often uh, would you say that a family should have a, a family council meeting? Uh, once a quarter, twice a year, once a year? What What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, and it's a great question because doesn't it seem like everything leads to committees and meetings yeah. and structure mm-hmm. and bureaucracy? Um, you know, I think my first blush reaction is quarterly probably feels about right. Um, you know, anything less than that, I don't, I, you know, I, I would be, Worried that, that that you're not going to be able to address what's important to to the family, you know, and it, and it may be that there are periods of time where there's specific work that needs to be done. Yeah, we're going to sit down and draft a family employment policy, and so maybe that family council, you know, ha- sets up a smaller group of a couple of folks who agree to meet, you know, weekly or once a month just to help kind of get that drafted. Um, but I, you know, something in that kind of quarterly time frame that allows enough to happen in the life of the family and in the life of the business where it makes sense to kind of get together. Um, and hopefully doesn't, you know, doesn't exhaust people. I think that would be perhaps the great caution to all of this is that, um, it needs to be appropriate in size relative to the number of family members. Um, so if you have, if there are 10 family members, having a family council with eight people makes no sense. It's just too many people. Um, you're going to, it's going to be hard to make decisions. And frankly, you're going to burn people out. And so think about, a, you know, it may be a smaller group of three or four that do that. So you, and, and so you want to make sure that, you know, the work is important enough that it continues to persist and, we, I think we've probably all been involved with nonprofit organizations where someone comes in with a lot of enthusiasm. They work really hard for 12 to 18 months. Um, the work is harder than they had anticipated, but they've used all of their energy. And this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, mm-hmm. And so just recognizing that. And then also, you know, whether it's through an election process, um, a lot of times I've seen, you know, where family members don't like to compete against one another. So it becomes more of kind of a nomination process, you know, something like that where you've got some natural rotation. You maybe have a president or a chairman who has a couple year term that then can rotate off. You know, treat it almost like you're starting a, like a small nonprofit organization where you can be, bring people in and out. People who have children, you know, if you've got a new baby at home, maybe you can rotate off and rotate. You know, someone else comes on. You know, I, I would think about that, um, and then even also making sure you've got diversity of generations, uh, diversity of generations, diversity of gen- genders, um, and diversity of in-laws and and fa- lineal family uh, members as well. So you've got a real broad perspective of what's going on in the life of the family. Um, I think that's where the family council is going to be the most effective. Great. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate that. Well, I want to just for a moment here uh, talk about succession planning for a family business. Uh, it's a whole topic to itself, but I, I really wanted to hold it to, to uh, just real briefly uh, share some thoughts on it uh, from a family council standpoint. 
Uh, you know, very rarely does a family uh, uh, founder have just one child. They may have two children, three children, or whatever. And we always hear this thing about, I want to treat my ch- uh, children equally, hmm. or do I want to <laughs> treat my children fairly? So how does a family council help in preparing for a smoother uh, transition of leadership where one or the other of the uh, siblings may be the next CEO leader of the family business once the founder has either deceased, retired, uh, moved on, or whatever? Sure, yeah, no, and that's, wow, what a great question. Um, I, I, you know, the I think the first thing that maybe comes to mind is, is it opens up another pathway for leadership within the family um, where the person who becomes the president of the family council or, you know, chairman of the family council, kind of whatever term is used, you know, that's a serious and important role um, that looks different perhaps than kind of the CEO uh, of the business kind of role, but certainly, you know, as, as vital um, to the longer term sustainability of, of the family as a collective entity. So I think it for, for, you know, to the extent that there's a, a sibling who doesn't necessarily, you know, there's got to be a, a choice of, you know, sibling one, sibling two, um, you know, maybe it creates a pathway where that second sibling can find a way to to be a leader, to plug in. Now, I would I would say that by no means should it be a, you know, okay, you didn't get the CEO, so we're going to make you chairman of the, of the family council. Um, I, I would make it entirely much more focused on, is that something that really excites the, the family, the, that individual where they can begin to, sh- to shift their focus of saying, well, what's what's best for the family longer term, and how can I provide leadership for that? Um, I wouldn't make it a con- you know concession prize. I-, I think you would end up missing um, what the family council in its best and highest form could be. Um, you know, I, I, and I know we we, we kind of joked about it earlier, um, but I do think that you know hopefully this. By, by having conversations, by opening um, pathways around what's important to the family, it also helps to address those specific questions um, um, where, you know, where the hurt feelings arise. And, you know, that, that kind of the, the classic problem with assumptions, right, which is that, you know, it always leaves somebody feeling in the dark. I think that, you know, family councils have a way of helping to surface the underlying assumptions. And for, you know, and for some family members, um, it may also provide a context, you know, whether it's through education, through career coaching, life coaching, or things like that, where the where the family member, you know, there, I, I would I would imagine that there are plenty of family members who end up uh, becoming the CEO after dad passes or grandfather passes, where that's not at all what they have what they were interested in doing with their lives, um, and so you know, I think there is also a pathway then hopefully to provide family members the ability to you know individuate to, to to find the direction that they want in their lives so that you know if something were to happen um where they didn't get a role maybe that gives them the freedom to find a path um either within the company where they still feel valued and important um perhaps it's given a capacity to learn how to make decisions with a sibling who who is now going to be their boss or it helps give them the, the, the framework then to just you know to simply part ways with the family business in terms of their professional uh, service, but still find a way to be very involved within the family, the broader kind of family enterprise um, and family system. And I think that's an important thing to recognize is that um, at, you know, as as the family business grows and changes, you know, the, the simple reality is is that 
um, the odds of the family itself providing the human capital that the business needs just gets less and less and less likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- you you can have an engaged family where you don't have family members who, who, who work in the business. In fact, I, I mean, I know several family businesses – uh, where they have a stated policy that no family members will work in the business at all because the business has grown to a point where it is successful enough they need world-class management and they don't want the risk of hiring you know, somebody who happens to get the seat because the name, their name is what the founder's name was. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that's a, a decision that that family made, but I think that um, the reality is, is that the, you know, families will begin to move more towards that than just the simple fact that, you know, every generation is able to work in the business the same way that those who have come before. Hopefully some some can because I do think that creates a, a great sense of ownership um, and engagement. But it's not necessarily, a, you know, it's not necessarily a prerequisite um, for the success of the family over the long term. Very good. Very good. Thank you, David. Uh-huh. So uh, you've, we've already talked about how important food is to uh, families and, and business. So uh, what does your family talk about around the Sunday dinner table? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And, and uh, yeah, and especially in the South, right? I mean, if it doesn't right. happen at the dinner table, it's not going to happen. That's right. Um, you know, I think we spend a lot of time, I think we spend a lot of time talking about um, those who have come before. And uh, we talk about grandparents. We talk about aunts and uncles um, and what they've done, um, you know, how they came to the country, you know, took risks and started, you know, where that led to success, where that led to failure. Um, you know, we, we I think that's really, really important, in the, in especially in a world that is so ephemeral. Um, you know, so you look at things like Snapchat where you've got pictures that, you know, disappear in short periods of time. You know, everything seems to be getting shorter and shorter and I think helping ground our kids in the sense that life is, in fact, very long, um, the fact that, uh, you know, each generation's trials and travails are unique to them, but are, excuse me, particular to them, but not unique in the broad story of humanity. And I think giving kids the sense of, like, here's what, what's happened before, here's how the family got through it, that gives them such um, flexibility and freedom to approach their lives. Um, and I know as, as a parent myself, like, we, we really want to put our kids in a position to fail and where they can fail and, and, uh, and learn those lessons so that they can, they can pick themselves up and move and move on. And that strength uh, to, to rise when you're kind of down, I think, comes by knowing that those before you have gone the same way. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about that. And then we spend a lot of time talking about what does it look like um, to be responsible, you know, whether it's, you know, my seven-year-old's uh, little weekly allowance that he gets, which he's you know, actively negotiating, trying to get a raise out of, um, you know, what is it, what does it look like to do that? What is it, what does our responsibility look like to the community in which we live, whether it's supporting our, you know, local place of worship or the nonprofit organizations that we're, that we're pl- proud to partner with. What does it look like to partner with nonprofits, um, maybe in places that we don't live, um, but where there's great work being done to alleviate suffering and helping other people out. And so you know, I think a lot of that, you know, in, 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 so much of it is not necessarily planned conversation between my wife and I or when my in-laws are at the table or my parents are at the table. It's, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, when, when the kids ask a question of saying like, oh, this, that's a really interesting question. Let's take that a little bit of a different way and ask some more questions um, of, the, of, uh, of the child um, or share a little bit more of our perspective. And, you know, and who knows how that plays out over time. I think what we're finding is, is it creates a, a culture where our kids feel comfortable to ask questions. Um, and then I think we're excited to see as they grow and mature, you know, hopefully that creates interesting, thoughtful adults. But 
that's the working thesis at least. That's cool. That's cool. Well, David, it's been a, a really a great uh, 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 program today on family governance. But I did want to. Uh, I, I know that uh, you 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 don't you're not involved in your family business on a day to day, but you are involved uh, at Woodmont Council. Could you take just a moment to tell us about your role at Woodmont Council, what you do, and how do you serve family businesses? Sure, absolutely. No, and I appreciate the opportunity for a quick, shameless self-promotion. Um, you know, really what what, uh, what I do here in my day-to-day is, is, you know, we want to come – I think one is we recognize that um, the ability for families to stay invested together is contingent on – you know, it is uh, enabled by the financial wealth that they have, whether that's a, an operating company, whether that's a, a liquid pool of assets where there's capital that's accumulated outside of the business. And so – you know, certainly that uh, isn't every piece of uh, of the family, and and not, maybe not even necessarily the most important piece, but it's a very vital piece to enabling that family work. So, really, what I do here at Woodmont is to try and come alongside families, one with the context uh, that we've talked about today of recognizing what's going on in the family. You know, being part of a business owning family myself, you know, I, I, understanding and appreciating that uh, how decisions get made uh, when you've got multiple generations at the table. And then really where we partner is is to help families manage that liquid investment piece. Um, you know, sometimes that's through like a family investment partnership. Um, sometimes that's through, a, you know, a private trust company. Sometimes that's through, you know, the operating assets. You know, there may be um, the operating company has an investment pool, a pension, um, you know, and, and we can be engaged in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we, we actually take, you know, full discretion of the assets where we're making investment decisions. You know, I serve on a number of, of, of boards and investment committees where we're simply providing outside expertise to help, you know, ask the questions that uh, we think the family should be asking. So there are lots of ways we can get involved. Um, but really, you know, my view and, and my my goal is is to help families recognize that, you know, shot, um, the, the, the two most powerful ways to have investment success, you know, first would be inside information, uh, which was obviously illegal and, and, and mm-hmm. not permitted. Uh, but the second most powerful thing is to have time uh, at your side and the ability to take advantage when something is mispriced in the market because you've got the time horizon to ride it out is such a powerful advantage. And, and, and really, in, in, and we've talked about the, you know, the, the short-term nature of the world, but really in the, in the financial markets, it's so much more, it's so much worse uh, where trades happen on a millisecond basis. And so for families that do this hard work of building trust, building capacity together, it's so exciting for me to come alongside them and help them invest because they have a, they have a structurally advantaged position because uh, they get to look a little bit different in how they behave in the markets, and that's and that is such a great foundation for for long term success. You know that's you know that personally that's kind of why I got into this work is because you know that that's really engaging uh, to be able to to feel like you got an edge to, to go to the markets and then and then work closely with families to help them articulate what's important to set policy to to figure out which you know hedge fund and private equity managers they want to use or which stocks and bonds they want to invest in. You know, we, we come alongside for, for really all of that. Oh, that's great. Thank you, David. Hey, Absolutely. David. Thank you, Greg. Oh, thank you for being our guest on Family Business Today. To learn more about David Wells and Woodmont Council, visit their website at www.woodmontcouncil.com. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast. Brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee. Our passion is to help families deal with the unique challenges of working together in a family business and planning for a successful transition. As a special gift for joining us for today's edition of Family Business Today podcast, we would like to send you a free copy of Family Council, 
what it is, and why you must have one. You will learn the purpose of a family council, the difference between family meetings and family councils, the responsibilities of a family council, and how do we start a family council, and more. So just send us an email today to info at tncfb.com and simply say governance. To learn more about the Tennessee Center for Family Business, visit our website at www.tncfb.com. Until next time, thanks for joining us. 